Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good morning. Deacon Rich and I were talking before Mass. We were like, is anybody going to show up? Look at a good day to have a snowmobile, I guess. This is why they call you the faithful, right? You're like, you're better than the, the, the U.S. post office. You're like, you're, you're always showing up. Doesn't matter the weather. It's so good. It's very, uh, it's encouraging because it'd be awkward if there was no one here and I was preaching, right? I guess Deacon Rich will still listen. Would you still listen? He wouldn't listen. All right. All right, so I got a lot I want to talk about this morning, a lot I want to dive into, and uh, I want to focus our attention this morning on the first reading and pull out things that have to do with this first reading from uh, the book of Nehemiah. It's a book that we don't ha- tend to hear a lot from um, in the lectionary cycle, so I want to, I want to give us a little context for, for Nehemiah first. So around the year 586 B.C., um, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar which uh, kindergarten was hard for him. By the way, if anybody, uh, you know, is pregnant and thinking about a boy name, I think Nebuchadnezzar uh, could be really, there's not a lot of Nebuchadnezzars walking around today. So, you know, you, yeah, spelling would be hard. All the, yeah, it'd be great. Anyway, all right, so Nebuchadnezzar, 586, he conquered, he sacked Jerusalem, he sacked Judah, him and his army, they brought Israel out of their homeland into exile. Um, It was a calamitous defeat for the Israelites. Their temple was destroyed. Their walls were destroyed. Their whole way of being in life was completely smashed to the ground. Um, It was was an unthinkably, unthinkably? There's there's a word there somewhere. It was a tragedy beyond imagining. It was a tragedy beyond imagining for them. And uh, so for about a century, they were exiled in Babylon. They were outside of the holy city, outside of the promised land, exiled in Babylon, cut off from liturgy, cut off from prayer, cut off from customs, cut off from temple sacrifice. So through an interesting uh, series of events, the Babylonians were then conquered by the Persians and King Cyrus the Great, he came and he allowed a decree, he created this decree that allowed all exiles to return to their homeland. So about after a century, the Jews, generation two, three, and four or so, so to speak, they got to return back to their, their homeland. They got to return back to the holy city of Jerusalem. That's where the scripture passage we have today, that's where this picks up. So they come back to the holy city, and it's in ruins, absolutely in ruins. The walls are obliterated. The temple is still destroyed. Everything is, well, nothing is as it was. And you got Ezra the prescribe, he's out there, he's trying to inspire the people, he's trying to give like a rousing, you know, halftime speech, so to speak, for his people. Like, we kind of remember who we are, we got to remember what's going on. And he's reading from the scroll, uh, it's the scroll from the book of Deuteronomy, it says he's reading from sun up until midday, which gives me about four more hours. Uh, if I'm going off of that schedule. No, for about sunup till midday, he's reading the scroll and he's going on and on talking about and sharing the good, amazing things that God has done. And it says this, it says, Ezra read plainly from the book of the law of God, interpreting it so that all could understand what was read. When I read that, I initially thought he's, is he, like he's giving, like he's reading a little bit, giving a little commentary, reading a little bit, give a little homily. That's not what he was doing. The actual text there is, he was, he was translating it. 
He was translating it. He was translating it from the original Hebrew into Aramaic. Why? Because the people, the Jewish people, they were exiled for so long. They were so cut off from their roots, from their identity, from their story, that they had even lost their own ancestral language. They didn't even know who they were anymore. They couldn't even speak their own language. So Ezra's just simply translating it. And as, he, as he's reading it, as he's proclaiming it, as they hear their story, they weep. They weep to find out who they were. Like it's, it's like you can hear them saying, like, this is who we are? This is our story? This is where we came from? We are the people of God's promises? We're the people of the covenant? And they weep to be reminded of who they were, to be reminded of who they are. And they weep because part of that book of Deuteronomy, they're hearing, they're hearing the story of the covenants of Ad, from Adam and Eve to Noah and his family to Abram. And the great promises made to Abram that he would be the father of multitudes, that through his descendants, them, through his descendants, there would be universal blessing upon the earth, that they would be more numerous than the sands of the seashore. And they also read of the desert wandering and the deliverance from Egypt and the promises that God makes that you will be my people and I will be your God, this covenantal relationship. And also they read, they hear of the promise that God makes that if you don't keep this, this is what will befall you, that your enemies will encircle you and they will take you captive. And they're realizing as if for the first time, this is why we've been in exile. We're the children of the chastisement. At the end of all of this, Ezra, as he's sharing the story, he tells them in the midst of their weeping, he says, take heart. He encourages them to celebrate, to eat a rich banquet. You can see in this almost a prototype, a hidden figure of the mass. You have this liturgy of the word, sharing of the word, and then it leads to a banquet. Right? We've got the word and we're about to lead to the banquet. Here's what I was thinking. As I was praying through this story, this return of the exiles, it's not so remote. Like, I'm afraid that this is where many, if not most of us in the modern church, most Christians today find themselves in relation to the story. I don't think most Christians, most Catholics, I don't think we know our story. I think we know the stories I don't think we know the story, though, like the overarching story. And, and a big problem for us as cradle Catholics, a big problem is, is this big old book right here. You're to blame! Thanks for playing. Uh, this is called the lectionary. The lectionary was designed by the church to split apart the scripture reading so that over a cycle of about three years, um, if you were to come to daily Mass every day for about three years, you would hear about 80-85% of the, of the Bible read to you in its entirety, which is pretty extraordinary, which I know a lot of you do. You come to daily Mass every day. But the lectionary, so the lectionary is broken into these cycles, and we come to Mass Sunday after Sunday, day after day, and we hear these little snippets read to us from Nehemiah, from Isaiah, from Habakkuk, from First Chronicles, from First Samuel, from Genesis, Exodus, from Revelation. Like we hear these little snippets read to us, proclaimed to us. But the problem with all of this is that the lectionary, the way it was designed, the lectionary presupposes that you and I, that we know the story, like the overarching grand narrative, a big picture view of the whole thing. And I don't think a lot of us get that. I don't think a lot of us have that. 
let me just use, here's an example. This is what I mean. That like, so I, uh, I, I, I love to read, and I've been trying to read for about 10 years now, a book by uh, Fedor Dostoevsky, a book called The Brothers Karamazov. Anybody here read The Brothers Karamazov? Okay, like two people, well, like four people, five people, okay. Exactly, right? Like, not all of you, right? And there's a reason for that. It's a very dense, difficult book. There's like thousands of characters. It's, he's Russian, and so it's very depressing, and it's complex, and like, I've been trying to read this book for about 10 years, so, and I just, I just can't do it. I'm just not manly enough. I can't, I can't surmount the Everest of the Brothers Karamazov. So uh, anyway, here's the thing, though. If you were to bring the Brothers Karamazov, I was, if I was to open up the Brothers Karamazov to like an, a random page, select a random paragraph, and read the paragraph, read out loud, that you and I, we would, we would be able to understand it on one level, right? Like you could hear, like we know English, you know what those words mean, you can understand what the sentence means. Like on one level, I, I can understand what this paragraph is saying. But on a deeper level, I have no idea what this paragraph is saying right? I don't know who these characters are. I don't know if they're a good guy or a bad guy. I don't know if this is foreshadowing. I don't know if this is, I don't know what came before this. I don't know what comes after this. I don't know what this is leading to. I don't know what the drama is. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know what the plot is. I don't know if this is like a callback or a reference to something. I don't know any of the context. I don't know the story to understand what this snippet is saying. You see what I'm saying? Like, I I can understand on one level, but on a deeper level, I don't get it. But if you were to pick a random paragraph from any of the Lord of the Rings books, I promise you, no matter what paragraph from any of those books, I guarantee you I could tell you exactly what was going on. Because I know those characters inside and out. I've read those books so many times. I know what's going on. I know what the plot is. I know what the drama is. I know what this is leading to. I can point to the symbolism. I can say this is prefiguring this, foreshadowing this, recalling this. Like, I've read those books so many times because, like, when I was in eighth grade, all I did was learn how to write and read in Elvish. So, like, I know those books. Okay? You don't have a lot of friends when you do that. But I know the Lord of the Rings. I know the story. So, like, pick any paragraph. I could tell you what's going on because I know the story. This is our problem. We come to Mass, daily Mass, Sunday Mass, because we don't really have a firm grasp of the story. We hear these names read to us. We hear about Ammonites and Hittites and Jebusites and Gigabytes and Mosquitobites. And we're just like, I don't... Hopefully it's Donut Sunday because this is really, like, going over my head, Right? We don't know what this has to do with, like, the plot. We don't know what this is doing in terms of, like, do you even, like, until I said 586 B.C., did you even know that Nehemiah had to do with the destruction of Jerusalem and the return of the exiles? Not calling anybody out, but it's just saying, if you don't know that, you don't really know what you're hearing. You with me? Give me some of this if you're with me. This is what I do with the kids at the school mass. Give me some of this. Thank you. Yeah, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. And here's the thing, like, Here's the thing. What our church so desperately needs today more than any other era of the church, it's not more theological insight. It's not more apologetics. All those things are great. What we need as a church, as Catholics, is we need to know the story. We need to reacquire a biblical worldview. We need to be able to see and understand the world through the lens of the big story. Because without it, we're, we're lost, and we can't make sense of our hearts. We can't make sense of our, like, where do I come from? Where am I going? What's my purpose? Like, what, what am I even here for, right? Without knowing the story, without having answers to those questions, without that biblical worldview, we can't make sense of the world around us. We need to reacquire the biblical worldview. So, 
Part of the challenge, and part of the challenge with us as living out our, our faith as modern Christians today is that we are trying to live out our faith in the context of a culture that has replaced and gotten rid of the Christian story. That's, that's the problem in many ways. That's the disjoint that you and I feel when we leave church and when we like surround ourselves with people who don't know Jesus, who aren't disciples. It's not just we have different opinions. We have completely different worldviews. We are operating in completely different stories, completely different answers to the questions of where do we come from, where are we going, what makes society just and good, how, do I, like, how am I supposed to lead my life? We're trying to live the Christian life outside or in the context of a culture that has abandoned the Christian story. So what am I suggesting? What am I suggesting? I want to I get very practical with all of you this morning. I don't tend to get practical, but I'm going to get practical this morning. So if you've got like your phone with you, you can get your phone out right now so you can maybe jot some notes down. If you've got something you want to write with, you can write this down. So I'm going to give you three things, three things that I want you to do, three, three, three things I want you to start considering. I don't see any of you reaching for your phones. This is like where we like do the, the Catholic charity saying, remove the pencil from the envelope. And for the love of God, don't put the pencil back in the envelope. <laughs> okay, so three things. First thing, I'm going to challenge you to prepare for the upcoming Sunday by, wait for it, reading the readings before Mass. You're looking at me like, I didn't even know we were allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, I want you to read the readings before Mass. And it gets, more, it, gets, it gets even crazier. I want you to read them in your own Bible. Catholics, this is a Bible. This one's mine, okay? I bet you have one at home, okay? It's probably got a lot of dust on it. So you want to go like that, all right? I want you to read the readings for the upcoming Sunday in your own Bible. I want you to underline things, circle things, highlight things. Because the reality is if the first time you hear the scriptures is right here at Mass, you're not going to get anything out of it. You know that, I know that. If you're not reading it before Mass, you're not going to get anything out of it. And if you're not going to get anything out of it, why are you even here? Okay, so we're going to prepare for Sunday Mass by reading the readings ahead of time in our Bibles, underlining things, marking things up, and then... You can bring your Bible with you to Mass. And you can follow along in your own Bible. Because here's the thing I've noticed about this parish. A lot of you will open up the hymnal, which is so awesome, and you'll read the readings in the hymnal. Right? That's so great. But you can't underline things. You can't circle things. You can't make little notes in the margins in the hymnal. If you do, that's called uh, defacement of property. And you can come to confession on Saturday. <laughs> but bring your own Bible Bring your own Bible to Mass, and you can, like, engage, engage with it, right? This is, the, this is the sword of the Spirit. This is God's living Word. This is the Father's love letter to you. We as Catholics, this is our book. We need to engage this. We need to engage this. Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. So, step one, prepare for Sunday Mass with your own Bible. By the way, the translation that you hear in the lectionary is the New American Bible translation. There's a lot of different translations. So if you want your Bible to sound, to read just like what you hear from the pulpit, get a New American Bible translation. If you've got questions about that, email me or Deacon Rich or Father Joe. We'll help you understand that. Number two. You write this down? Number two. Uh, before next Sunday, I want you to read the entire Bible. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I want you to read the entire Gospel of Luke. Okay, before next Sunday, I want you to read all of Luke. 
Here's why. Because right now, this next year, we are in cycle C, which means that every Sunday you come to Mass, for the most part, you're going to hear from the Gospel of Luke, right? So how great would it be, how much richer of an experience would it be if, like, you know the, the, the timeline, the flow of Luke's Gospel, that you already have a sense of where this fits in with this. Has this happened yet? No, he hasn't multiplied things yet. Has he called the disciples yet? No, he hasn't done that yet, right? You can have a better sense of where things are if you've already read it. So before next Sunday, you can do this, right? It's not the brothers Karamazov. Okay, before next Sunday, read all of the Gospel of Luke. You can do it. You can do it. By the way, it's my favorite Gospel. It's a really good one. You're going to love it. God did a number on that one. Okay, third thing, third thing. I've been talking about this whole, like, becoming more familiar with the big picture story. Like, the story behind the story, the overarching vision of the story. Um, is there a book or, like, a podcast that, uh, that does that? Yes, there is. Okay, so a good priest friend of mine, he's an amazing guy, brilliant scholar. He wrote a book. It's called The Christian Cosmic Narrative. The Christian Cosmic Narrative. You can find it on Amazon. Or you can also go to our parish website. If you go to the resources page, the little tab at the top, then there's a link there that says helpful links. And right there, there's a section that says books. And under that, you can click the link. It'll take you right to the Amazon page, the Christian Cosmic Narrative. If you're not a, a big reader, if you prefer to listen to things, you're more auditory, well, guess what? Last, well, when COVID happened, when COVID shut the world down, I had nothing to do. So my, my buddy, I asked him, could I, would you mind if I just recorded and produced this series? He was working on the manuscript. It was before it got published. Um, if I could record it all as podcast episodes and put it on my podcast. He said, that's awesome. That saves me a lot of trouble. So if you go to our homepage, S-H-O-F-Jesus, shovejesus.com, right? If you go right to that homepage, go like halfway down the media section, there's a little section in the center. You'll see it. There's an icon of Christ's face. There's 33 episodes. 33 episodes, the Christian cosmic or Christian mythic narrative, 33 episodes that are about 8 to 10 minutes long, and I'm just basically reading this book. So you can just, if you have trouble falling asleep, you could put my voice on, I'll help you go to sleep, or just while you're driving and doing dishes, whatever. But it's, here's the deal with this book. It is, it is the, it's not a Bible study, it's a retelling of the story from like, from, from God, from the creation of the angels and the spirits to the fall of Lucifer to the creation of the universe and the creation of the human being to our fall to the patriarchs and the promises and the covenants all the way to the incarnation and the passion, death, and resurrection and all the way into the church and the current age. So it's like looking at the whole story from 35,000 feet. With that, and like it is so compelling, it's so powerful, it's so beautiful, like you won't, you, you, I promise you won't want to put it down. It's really that good. So, this is so important for us that as Catholics, we need to know our story. Like the Israelites coming back from exile, they didn't know their story. We need to know our story. We need to know our story because without knowing our story, we're not going to be confident to evangelize because this parish doesn't simply exist for, our, for us, for us who are in the parish. Our parish exists for everyone else who's not in the parish, who's lost and hurting and broken and desperate, who doesn't know where the banquet is that corresponds to their hunger, that like, we've got, we've got the cure for spiritual cancer. We've got the best banquet in the world for people who are sick and hungry. It's called Jesus in the Eucharist. And if we don't invite people, they're not going to get here. So, it starts with knowing our story. Step one, prepare for Sunday Mass with your Bible. And then you can BYOB to Mass. Bring your own Bible to Mass. Okay. 
Stay with me. Number two, you're going to read all of the Gospel of Luke. Number three, you're going to check out the Christian cosmic narrative either as the book or as the podcast. This is how we're going to get even more intentional as disciples. Amen.